Well, good morning. Glad you guys are joining us this morning. Good to see you guys again, or at least you get the pleasure of seeing me. Hey, 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 before we get started, we just have to take a moment, okay? Uh, this Sunday is a monumental and significant moment for all of us who live in the Monmouth area. This moment, this Sunday is the first Sunday in 20 years, okay? Take, think about that, 20 years, okay? Where were you 20 years ago? 20 years. This Sunday is the first Sunday in 20 years where Monmouth has a grocery store. Is that not like the most life-giving thing you've heard forever all week? Monmouth has a grocery Now, it, 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 it doesn't really help that Monmouth's grocery store and Independence grocery stores are like 17 feet apart from each other, but they're on the opposite sides of the city line. It's amazing. Anyways, glad you guys joined us. We are continuing our series th um, through Ephesians 4 to talk about unity. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Ephesians 4. Um, if you don't, you can go to mymcc.info and you can follow along there. Uh, you can download the Bible app and you can uh, go to Ephesians 4 on your phone or on a tablet. Uh, Ephesians 4. If not, we're, we're going to have all the verses here, and we're basically covering all of Ephesians 4 today, okay? So, let's get started. Here we go. Let's read it, okay? Ephesians 4, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, now this is Paul speaking, we haven't really got a lot into this uh, in the past couple weeks, but um, this is actually uh, like a double entendre kind of thing in Greek because he's saying that he's a prisoner for the Lord and he's a prisoner of the Lord in the Greek. It's kind of mix-mash because Paul is literally imprisoned because of his following Jesus, but he has also submitted himself so much to following Jesus, right? This is going to be important because what we're going to talk about today is going to be heavy and weighty, is that Paul is telling us before he gets into any of what he tells us in Ephesians 4 is that to follow Jesus is going to require you to, to invest yourself so deeply into Jesus that you might even look like a prisoner, that you give up so much of yourself, that you empty yourself to be filled with the Spirit, to take off, as he says in Ephesians 4, to take off the old self and to put on Christ over you to become like a prisoner to Jesus. He says this, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This is what we've been talking about these last couple because you see, immediately after this, um, this verse, Paul's going to tell us what it looks like to walk worthy. Now, now hear this, Paul is not saying to walk in a way that you earn anything. He, he's not telling you, he's not teaching us, that he's not imploring you to walk in a manner um, that is deserving of your call. He, he's not telling you to walk in, in a way that earns your calling or your position or your posture. What he's saying is to walk in a manner where he's, what he's saying is royalty language. What he's saying is, is, is like a king or a queen who, who takes their son or daughter and says, hey, 
you now have to start acting like royalty. There's a call. Your actions don't change your position in the family. But the grace of God does not justify laziness, apathy, or or um, uh, excuses in our following Jesus. Paul is imploring us. He's saying that following Jesus is hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes. We're going to see in Ephesians 4 what he's going to lay out, the expectations. I'm going to look at three sets of commands throughout the verse, throughout chapter 4, of what he's telling us to do. He says this, walk worthy, verse 2. This is how you walk worthy. You walk with all humility and gentleness. Look at that. Isn't that horrible? (laughs) I mean, he says, with all humility. Not some humility. Not mostly humility. Not more humble than your neighbor. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Some translations use the phrase instead of tolerance, it says bearing with one another. Isn't that like, isn't that so true what it means to be around like people? Sometimes you just have to bear with people, but not just bear with them or to tolerate them, but to bear with them or to tolerate one another in love. He goes on in verse three, he says this, being diligent, or your translation may say eager, being diligent or eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, Paul's going to tell us three big things of what it means to walk worthy. And and the first thing, um, to to, to walk worthy of the calling is is to simply do it. Sometimes we just have to be gracious and humble and kind and bear with one another. He doesn't have any exception. Do you see that? He, he doesn't say, I mean, bear with those people who only annoy you sometimes. In fact, one time the disciples were talking to Jesus and they asked Jesus, how often should we forgive and Jesus' basic answer is this. You, you can look it up, but Sean's paraphrased version is, is as many times as it takes. That's the image that Paul's saying is we just bear with one another. Again, they grind on you again this week. It's heavy and weighty and they're annoying again this week. And you don't like their politics and you don't like their opinions and you're annoyed with what they post on Facebook or social media. And, and they smell funny or look weird or dress stupid or whatever the thing is. That what it means to be united in Christ, to walk worthy, is to be people who bear with one another in love. Whose love overwhelms the conflict. Whose love for one another breaks down the barriers. Whose love for one another wipes out all that separates. I mean, this is what we see in the gospel. This is what Jesus did for us. That his love crossed over the line into his enemy's territory, which is what it says. It says that before Christ, that we were enemies in our minds, that he did the hard work of humbling himself. Scripture says that Jesus emptied himself even to the position of a slave or a servant. Do you see see where Paul might be getting this? 
Sometimes walking worthy is just hard work. You just have to choose to do it. But it goes on. Verse 12, skip down to verse 12. He says this. Uh, Actually, let's do verse 11. And he, being Jesus, gave some as apostles. So he's talking about unity. This is important to, how does a church have unity, right? And he's talking about that there are different roles, and there are different positions, and there are different people, and different jobs. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. We don't have the time to go through and break down how they're different and how we see them today, but just, just know there's different things going on. He gave them all. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer tossed we're no longer to be tossed. We're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful. But speaking the truth in love, we are to. Here, here we go. Here it is, right here. Here it is. This is Paul summing up what he talks about. All this, the body and the parts and the growing up. It's right here. It's a simple phrase. He says this. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. There are some of us that just need to hear those two words. It's time to grow up. There are some of us who in our following Jesus, if we're honest with one another, our spiritual maturity, our faith in Jesus, our trust, our obedience in him looks the same as it does the first day we gave our life to Jesus. But see, Paul sees unity as a growing up thing. It's not for children I got children. There's not a lot of unity or agreement among children, unless, of course, it's terrorizing you in some way. Then they agree upon how they can terrorize you or wake you up in the middle of the night. Is there not like a chorus of children that just all have the conversation together that they're going to wake you up all throughout the night, right? But unity is not an act of children. Unity is an act of men and women. People mature in their faith. And far too many of us have thought that following Jesus simply meant giving our life to Jesus so we can go to heaven. And we wander around tossed here and there by rumors and statements and theories and ideas and opinions and the newest book or podcast or, or, or presentation of something or the newest movement going on in our culture tossed here and there. But, G, but Paul is telling us that we need to grow up and be mature and strong in our faith. But there's a reason. There's a reason for it. He's telling us to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint supplies. There you go. Everyone has a job. Everyone has a role. We're going to get that a little bit. According to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If the church is to be all that God has intended it to be, 
If the church is to be this shining light into a broken, darkened world, if the church is to be a city on a hill that proclaims the goodness of God, if the church is to be a conduit of the fullness of God's mercy and his grace pouring through the church into a world that is desperate need of love and grace and mercy, if the church is to be that, it is only as much as the men and women who follow Jesus do the work, as he said in the beginning, and grow up mature into the fullness, growing fully into their relationship with Jesus to build up the whole body. You see, unity is a corporate event, but it's an individual responsibility. Unity is a corporate event, but an individual responsibility. You have to do your work. My question if we're just going to be real honest and we're going to shoot straight, would be this. How much work have you put into maturing in your faith? I don't mean this to say this in a guilt fashion or to say that if you just, you know, um, did more things that God would love you more. None of that in any regard. But let's be honest with ourselves. How much work have you done to mature in your faith. If you showed up at the gym and just put 500 pounds on a squat bar and tried to get under that sucker, it would crush you and break your spine. But if you do the work to mature your muscles, to strengthen, to build flexibility, to, to strengthen your back and to learn proper technique and posture, there might come a day for some of us that you could get under that 500-pound rack and you could squat that, but it'd be because you did the work to mature your body. Your spiritual life is just the same. If we are to be united, it is because men and women commit themselves to growing up in Christ. And doing the work. The third thing he says comes in verse 20. So let's skip down to verse 20. It says this. Verse 20. Uh, oh, actually, let me give you some context. Right before, we're not going to read all the verses, but right before he talks about kind of life before Jesus or life for, apart from Jesus. For those who are still apart from Jesus or before you started following Jesus, what your life was like. But he says this. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Indeed... You have heard him and have been taught in him just as, just as truth is in, in Christ, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Remember we talked about this at the beginning, that you, that you stand in, in a posture and position worthy, that you, that, you that you get rid of the old broken self, that you take on Christ, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, a lot of times, a lot of times when we, um, when we try and read the scriptures in English, there's things because of the way things have to be translated and because of how languages work that you miss when you look at it in English than when you look at it in Greek. And one of the things that you miss is actually the tense that verse 24 comes in. It says this when you read it in English, and put on the new self. And that sounds like, here's what it sounds like, that sounds like a single act. 
That, that one day, and this is, this is where a lot of us get off the rails on things, that one day you said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's my personal Lord and Savior, and I'm getting rid of all this old stuff, and, and I'm taking on Christ, I'm taking on his righteousness, his kindness, and his goodness to me, and I'm trusting and believing that he is able to do immensely more than I can fathom or imagine that his sacrifice is sufficient, and that we believe that we did that once and we take on, but that's not what it says in the Greek. In the Greek, the verb that's there is actually continuous action. So if we were to expound on it and just kind of overly word it, a good translation could say something like, and continually choosing to put on the new self. You see, following Jesus and unity in the church is only as far as as we continue to choose to each day to follow Jesus. The bummer, the unfortunate thing, the like, the horrible thing about following Jesus and about unity in the church is that if we decide one day that we're not going to, it's like all the work we did before just kind of dissolves out into nothing. You see it all over churches. Churches that divide over the carpet of the color of the carpet or the curtains or over simple, ridiculous decisions, churches that sometimes for decades and maybe centuries did incredible, monumental things as acts and displays of God's goodness and grace in the world united as a force of power to change their community. They were the centers of restoration and reconciliation in their community. And then one day, one day, they forgot to put They decided that, you know, it's been a lot of work. I've forgiven that person a lot of times. I've been gracious to them one too many times. And it all begins to erode. You see, if we as a church and as the body of Christ collectively around our country and around America, uh, around our country and around the world, are going to be a symbol of the unity of what God can do, are going to be a conduit of the fullness of his grace, we single day to put aside our old selfish lustful self and he doesn't just mean lust as in sexual this this desire for more stuff and for more for me and for my pleasure and my gratification and to follow him and to trust and believe and then here's a huge list you ready if if um if beginning with doing the work and then growing up in Jesus wasn't enough. If, 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 if being humble and gentle and patient and tolerating one another and being diligent to preserve unity and, and engaging in works of service and speaking truth and love and giving what you have so that the whole body might grow up, if that wasn't enough, then he ends with this in the end of Ephesians 4. He says this. Therefore, verse 25, Lay aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin, right? Like this is all the things that it means to keep at it every day to do these things. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That in this day when you choose to put on Christ and and your new self being made righteous in Christ, 
Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need, being generous. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Uh Uh-oh. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do you see that, right? Your words shouldn't simply be true, but they should bring grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's a long list of a lot of things I don't want to put away from me. Along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. All because, all brought together, all founded on, Paul brings it all the way back to being the prisoner of the Lord, just as God in Christ also forgave you, that we submit ourselves just as Christ did to to his Father. That we show mercy and grace just as Christ did to his father. That we humble ourselves even to the point of being a servant just as Christ did to his father. Just as Christ did to us. That if we are to be a people united as the body of Christ so that the fullness of the grace of God might be seen in a broken world. That if we are to be the hands and the feet of the body of Christ. Paul says, we got a long list of things to do. We got to work at it. We got to do it. We got to be humble, gentle, patient, tall, bearing with one another. We got to grow up. We've got to give of ourselves in works of service, speaking the truth in love. We have to figure out how we can contribute, that God's gifted you so that you can contribute, so that every joint and every part of the body might be nourished and grow up into the fullness that God has for us. But even more than that, you got to keep at it. You have to lay aside your old self, You have to renew your mind. You have to put on a new self. You have to lay aside falsehood. You have to speak truth, the kind of truth Jesus speaks about us. Not the kind of truth that cuts, but the kind of truth that exposes grace and mercy. You have to be angry but not sin. You have to choose not to give the devil a foothold. You have to labor and share with what God has given you. You have to only use words of edification. You have to not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's a really long, heavy, weighty, list all because of Ephesians 4 3 God says be diligent eager to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond peace that Greek word there eager is is it's an emphatic word Uh, John Stott says this, it means that we are to, quote, spare no effort. And being a present participle, it is also a call for continuous, diligent activity. That we are to spare no effort to maintaining, to preserving the unity of um, Marcus Barth expresses the sense vividly when he says this. He says, it is hardly possible to render the exactly the urgency 
contained in the underlying Greek verb of all these things, to do all these things, to maintain unity. How important unity is to Jesus. He goes on and he says, not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole man is meant, involving his will, sentiment, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. The imperative mood of the participle found in the Greek text excludes passivity, quietism, a wait-and-see attitude, or a diligence tempered by all deliberate speed. Yours is the initiative, he says. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. I mean it. Such are the overtones in verse 3. Do it. Seek to maintain the unity. And then Paul gives us this huge list and he says, do it, mean it with every ounce of your body that you have. This is essential to the ministry that God has for us as a church. Central. The expansion of the kingdom of God. That we see ourselves just as Paul did, even to the point of calling ourselves prisoners to the Lord. Willing to set aside all of our selfish pursuits, all of our lustful desires for our own gratification. But it's hard and it's heavy. And if we're going to be honest, so often we feel inadequate. If I'm going to be honest with you, um, this season is hard. It's hard. It's hard to be a leader in the church in a time where we are in and moving into the most divided time in our nation since the Civil War. It's hard with social media and 30-second, 24-hour news coverage. It's hard. And sometimes I wonder, God, like, like, how in the world do you think that I am going to pastor these people? How in the world do you think that I could bring together people who have such different views on economics and such different view on politics and and such different views on their life and such different views on the world and such different views on even scripture? How am I supposed to pastor these people? And maybe as we go through this list, you feel the same. How am I supposed to bear with people that just grate on me? How am I to continue to be gracious and forgiving? How am I to set aside my lustful desires? How am I to take off my, God, I've been fighting this and I'm tired. Paul gives us the answer in an obscure, interesting verse, two verses right in the middle of Ephesians, verse 7 and 8. We skipped over them, and I bet if you're reading Ephesians 4, you'd probably skip over them too because they don't make a lot of sense to us. But he says this in Ephesians 4, verse 7 and 8. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ. Psalm 68, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but he says this. He says, when he ascended on high, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to them. It seems totally disconnected from this whole conversation of unity, but here's the deal. Is that for a Jew, this passage was connected with a feast called Pentecost. And it was the celebration of the giving of the law that Moses went up on the mount, he got the Ten Commandments, and he came down and got it written on these stone tablets, the law, and he'd given them the law. 
John Stott said it this way. Let me read it to you. He said this, liturgical custom in synagogues associated Psalm 68 with Pentecost. The Jewish feast commemorating the giving of the law. Paul's use of it in reference to the Christian Pentecost then makes a remarkable analogy. As Moses received the law and gave it to Israel, so Christ received the Spirit and gave him to his people in order to write God's law in their hearts and through the pastors he appointed to teach them the truth. Let me end with a story to illustrate this. You remember Jesus was talking to the disciples. And, and, he, and he says to the disciples, he says, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave you soon. Uh, I'm going to go to a place that, that, that you, you're not going to go. And the disciples kind of panic. And they want to go. And, and, and then they don't want him to leave. I mean, you wouldn't want him to leave. You just gave your whole life to this guy. You sold everything that you had to follow him. Matthew who we've been working through Matthew's gospel, he just got up from his tax collector booth and turned his back on the empire, the Roman empire, in hopes that this Jesus was the Messiah that would bring hope and life. The, the, some of the disciples left and sold, walked away from their family business, hoping and believing that they would be a part of this first wave of restoring a literal kingdom that would boot out Rome and that they would sit in high important positions that they would be taken care of for the rest of their life. And Jesus says to them, hey, um, uh, yeah, we're almost done here and I'm going to leave. And they're like, what? Jesus, I, I don't know if you know this, but you're like the center of the show. Like you're the one that makes all this happen. Yeah, we went off and healed some people and we cast demons, but, but you're the one, you're the one, you're the Messiah, where are you going? And he says this to him. He says, I have to leave. I have to leave so that the Comforter, so that the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in you. Do you remember what happened at Pentecost? Jesus dies, he raises from the dead. And then he ascends into heaven. And the disciples are terrified because Jesus is left sitting in an upper room. God, how in the world are we to figure this? What are we supposed to do now? Jesus is gone. How, we, can't, we can't kick out the Romans now. We can't conquer this empire. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells on them and fills them. And a group of a little more than 10 men and other disciples, men and women, change the course of human history not because of their discipline or their righteousness or because of their hard work, but because the spirit that dwelled inside of them. We are in a place and a time that it's easy to become fearful or discouraged at the brokenness and the darkness of our world. But here is what I want you to know and what Paul wraps up Ephesians 4. The call to unity of the church is to know this, that the same spirit that conquered the Roman Empire without raising a sword lives in you. The same spirit that raised dead men at the words of Jesus lives in you. That the spirit who made the lame walk and the blind see lives in you. That the same spirit, Scripture would tell us, that spoke all of creation into existence with the very words of God lives in you. <clears throat> that if we are to be the people of God, 
united, to be conduits of his grace and mercy, his body amongst a broken and hurting world. We must be people who lean in and trust and know that the Spirit of God is more than able in you, that my grace is sufficient for you.